Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. Here with Benji for stage two of the Giro d'Italia from Teramo to San Salvo. We'll also have a Vuelta Femenina wrap-up. We had a cracking stage, one of the best last two races this weekend of the season so far in La Vuelta with Vollering and Van Vleuten going head-to-head. But first, we'll do the Giro, the first sprint stage. And again, like, you can look at this parkour and say, oh, isn't there a little bit for the... The pure, you know, the punchy guys like caught or couldn't they get in the breakaway? Maybe in week three, but first stage like this, no. Even though there's rolling medium mountains, it was pretty easily controlled by Trek Segafredo because it's 202 k's with 50 k's of flat, Benji. And I was the main thing I was curious about was how much stress there would be in the finish. But who do we have in the breakaway? Please tell me there was a bias in there. I don't know which one though. <laughs> Mattia Baez was in the breakaway. Every single time in these Giro breakaways, we've either got the two Baez brothers, one of the Baez brothers, or we have Mirko Maestri, which is that, that Bardiani guy that always goes in the breakaway in Milano Sanremo. Those are the ones that go in there. But it wasn't just Italians. It was Baez, Thomas Champion also in there, Paula Pere, and uh, another Italian called uh, Stefano Gonde, which actually haven't heard of before. So welcome Gonde in Aura. He sounds French. And Vera, is Vera Italian or French? I know he's on Archaea. Uh, he's Italian, correct. He's Italian. Okay, well, fair enough. So yeah, it was a, a decent-sized break, but Trek had it under control. They were pacing, from what I could see, with Gabriel's Gabir, Tesfacion, and Vergara. Earlier, my big, big question mark for Trek Sigafredo was and remains, do they have the firepower for the actual sprint? Mm-hmm. And I think we actually have a bit of an answer in this stage, which is which is no, but at the intermediate sprint, we see who's, I guess, thinks they're going for the points jersey, and that was, the break had been caught at that point, and they went for full points, like they, this is something new as well, before the intermediate sprint, wouldn't you, back in the day, have seen this break get a much bigger leash, like three minutes max just about, and then they reel it in really tight, and for like the last 50k is just about, they're keeping there's no breakaway. We see it in UAE tour sometimes. Is that just born out of we, I don't know, we don't want to make it hard for us in the end game and we want to be set up for the finish? I don't know. Like, why is that happening? Ooh, that's a good question. Now, when it comes to the intermediate sprint, just want to say the break was still up there, but there's so many points to be given True. that the, the not the GC group, the, the group of the peloton can also take other points. So there's still... Four, three, two, one points available for the peloton itself. And we see a bunch of riders move up. Why is it that the break doesn't get a leash? Because they were caught not that far after. I think it's because teams are trying to get in position nervousness in the early week, probably, to try and get to the front as much as possible. And that might be the reason. But for, for a second here, this intermediate sprint, break takes the first four positions. But Gaviria actually wins ahead of Matthews. And when I was watching, I thought it was Matthews that was winning ahead of Gaviria, which was kind of surprising because the lead out was weird. As in, they had the trains of Movistar, you had the train of, uh, of Jayco as well. And Peterson was kind of 
the Lone Ranger who was in like seventh, sixth position to completely at the back. So I was I was kind of surprised to see him that badly positioned. Because he doesn't have a lead out man. Well, he has Kirsch, no, but... Yeah, but... I'm a Kirsch booster. I love Alex Kirsch. I think he's a really fantastic rider, but he's not a pure last man. There's no Edward Turns here, Danny Van Poppel, Christoph Laporte, even Edo Affini we saw in Paranese as a good last man. That sort of level... Kirsch is much more sort of the longer, he can do a longer pull and more versatile than those guys. They didn't bring turns. So I mentioned yeah. that it could be a problem. I think it was, I don't know, like they also got a bit unlucky today, Trek, which we'll get to <laughs> in, the, in the final as well. Maybe it would have been a bit different had things, you know, a bit of bad luck. But if you want to watch every stage of this Giro d'Italia and tomorrow, listen, with the nervousness we saw today, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw guys already attacking tomorrow on what's a medium mountain sort of no risk no glory stage if you want to watch every k of the giro d'italia live and on demand maybe you want to watch along to this podcast which i would recommend particularly for the sprint stages click the last 5ks on gcn plus is the best place to do so and in selected territories lrcp listeners you can get 15 percent off an annual pass and if you compare that pricing don't just take my word for it compare that pricing to baseball football you'll have to help me out on Benji or, or Luke, I don't know the cost of football <laughs> subscriptions or other sports streaming. The cost of GCN Plus for the sport we have and the coverage they have is unbelievably good value and even better so with that 15% off. So thanks to GCN for supporting the show and go and check that out through the link down below. But this was a Giro Sprint stage. Nothing too much happened. <laughs> At 20Ks to go, it went from Trek was controlling with Gabriel's Gabriel's Tesfacion. Everyone seemed happy for them to do so. We didn't really see Quickstep. We didn't really see any of Yumbo Visma or Ineos. And then I swear, all the DSs on their Velo Viewer notifications at 20k to go, it was like, tell everyone to get to the front and start doing the, the lead outs. Because every team to GC team then just moves up and the pace goes from like pretty chill. I didn't see too much stress to like, Full stress, almost Tour de France level stress. Would you say the reason that this happens is also because we're at the start of a Grand Tour? We don't necessarily know which rider is going to be the, the, the team, which team is going to be the team that will take up the final straight in these sprints, which teams are going to be the strongest ones when it comes to the final leadouts and so forth. And therefore, every team is trying to set up their own sprinter and not necessarily basing their strategy on opposing teams. So for example, like Cavendish was there for a second with the Astana train at the front. It's the only time I've seen the Astana train in the final, but he was present there quite a bit. And the other teams were moving past. Like you say, every Diaz was probably shouting in the ears, Go, get to the damn front, get to the damn front. And on to your point, I reckon there are some teams and some guys who think, oh, well, Remco's moved to the front, Rolich has moved to the front. I better get to the front. Because there's some teams like Aji Tuara moving to the you front. Know, Pino just has a guy do a full lead out to get him to the front end. Listen, that might have actually saved him in this final, yeah. that lead out, because I don't know, there needs to be, someone is going to have to do like thousands of hours of study, which I'm probably not the person to do it unless I get really bored in the off season, where you go and somehow calculate the extra energy you spend or the increased crash risk. Like Roglic, for example, in that Tour de France stage 2021, if Roglic doesn't try and move up, does he crash with Corbrelli? Probably not there. But then is he caught behind the Hague crash? Probably. And you have to look at all that. Is it worth it stressing so much? If you have the team to do it to keep you in front position, it's better to be in front position. Yeah. But then you see guys like Glogue and Kusu aren't going for GC. They just sit at the back, not caring. EF, different. 
Iran and Carthy are freewheeling. It was like wheels off, but that might have cost them time today. So on balance, if you are serious about GC and winning this race, yeah, it is better to be at the front. And the stress increases. We see Ineos Benji. I want to focus on them a little bit in this run-in. They have Ghana. Mm -hmm. They have Swift. They have Puccio and De Plus is here as a domestique. And frankly, Aronsman should be here as a domestique. At yes. this, like, he's a domestique here. And Swift at one point sprints up with Gagan Hart in front of the Trek train. They go to the right to the gutter and then they slide back. And there's no other Ineos guys there. And then Ghana does the same thing, but doesn't go the whole way. And then they kind of sit mid-pack at the back right. And then they do a really hard lead out late through these where there's some narrowings. And with Puccio, really hard. They blew Quickstep and Yumbo's doors off after Dennis had set it up and then it was just Afini Hessman and it was Catania Ballerini for, for Remco and Pink. And then there was no one after. No Duplus, no Aronsman, no Ghana. Like, surely, why wouldn't you use Ghana to keep the guy safe today, assuming he could? He's, he's too far away from GC to get it on the sprint or anything like that. I agree, and it's not the only thing when it comes to Ghana where I'm like, there's something wrong in this stage in terms of what he should be doing versus what he's doing. But at that point, I agree with that being the thing that he should be doing. He should be keeping Ineos to the front, making sure that they stay at the front, not in the same way that Pucho did, which was a bit of a rush to the front. And Pucho can't sustain that, like you mentioned. Yeah. Ghana is the guy that can sustain that and can keep the team at the front in that way. But it's also the thing where, because Ghana's not doing it, it's a bit of a process of waves that are happening with the front of the peloton. So you've got Ineos moving on the right side of the road. They move up, like you said, with Pucho. But since Pucho can't hold it, another team takes over. And I'm pretty sure that was at Emco with Quickstep on the left yeah. side with Cataneo moving past as well. This was indeed just before a, a very weird narrow section. I was yeah. like, it's a wonder nobody crashed <laughs> in this damn road. But they get through there and then it's, just, then it's just chaos for a bit. I couldn't tell which teams was just taking over because the one team took over then another then Cataneo was gone then Cataneo came back it was weird like I would say ultimately the teams that were good at keeping position were Quickstep and Jumbo Visma Quickstep probably able to stay in the front wheels with Ballerini or lead the peloton and it was Affini and Hessman sort of in a pocket behind them not able to pull but keeping Roglic in good position and we didn't really see Trekwood deeper we didn't see Alperson were there with Leyson or another rider. They were at the front too on the left-hand side. And this is why it's important when I said Puccio pulled, he did that pull maybe six and a half k's to go. And their goal right is to get to the three kilometer mark. So they got three and a half k's to make up. And I would say, do you know anybody that can pull on the flat for three and a half kilometers pretty well? I'd say <laughs> Pippo Ganner is probably the man I would try and get to go to the front to do that role. And, and they didn't. And so they, they washed back Bahrain, have the GC guys, hey, kind of fighting for himself. Yeah. Arashiro would set it up, but Milan was on with Pasquale on, being piloted, uh, sort of going for the sprint, which is smart. Like, they're not the favorite to win this race, probably yeah. even to podium. So Milan has to have a rider and be able to go for his own chances. And then everyone gets through those narrow sections unscathed. And then 3.7Ks to go. It's still maybe Alperson and just the GC teams. There's just a crash out of nowhere, and I still haven't seen the heli shot. Maybe I've only seen it once and I couldn't narrow it down and zoom in, but there's Alperson on the front left, then quick step. I first see Remco shout. Uh, you can see him shouting at somebody. And then the quick step riders look behind themselves, and then Remco freewheels and or brakes. He lets a, a decent gap go, but, and then there's, but I don't know what's caused that to his front left. 
or, or what's happened to his front left that he didn't like because the quick step guys wave across, Athene yeah. waves across, and then that when there's the wave, this is the way you're on at the front. When you're at the front and there's this reaction, okay, you make it, everyone reacts, reacts, reacts. The domino effect behind is someone in the back right pocket is going to crash. And there's a card crash that goes down. I've been manically refreshing um, the time splits, but from what I could tell, it was a serious crash at high speed where I would say two-thirds of the peloton were caught behind it, and this is a narrow road, yep. and everyone's on the line, and I was like, there, sh there is going to be time gaps with this crash. There should be time gaps yeah. with, this, with this crash, I would say. I agree that the initial cause of the crash is not 100% visible yet, maybe with analyzing it a few more uh, times we can see what caused those quick riders to move to the other side of the road and so forth. But we were talking just five minutes before that crash about Roglic's position that he was just kind of in the middle of the pack. And we said, if he stays in that position, then he's going to be in trouble if a crash happens in front of him. Now, that crash happens five kilometers later and he seems to be just ahead of it, right? So he seems to have moved up by that point or the team seems to have moved up him by that point, which truly saved it. Saved, yeah. his, saved his potential a few seconds there, or maybe more, because he could have crashed out at that point. But there was a team that was hindered, multiple teams. Trek was on the right side. I feel like Trek was this entire run-in kind of in a position where they were like DSM back in the day with a train of KS Ball with an entire train on the right side of the road and not necessarily moving up big time and just staying there on the right. And this was the worst position for that crash. And Peterson was nowhere because of that crash. I don't know if he actually crashed. Maybe his teammates crashed, but he was hindered. But also Ineos, right? Ineos, Thomas, I'm pretty sure Thomas made it to the front group. Gagenhart, because he was given the KOM jersey after they realized there was a timing issue for McNulty's time segments yesterday on the TT, which fills you with a lot of confidence that all the timing is 100% okay. <laughs> Um, but Gegenhart was, I mean, helpfully for identification. He was in that blue jersey, and I couldn't see him in the front group. And yet Ganner's in the front group yeah. and not dropping back to pull for Gegenhart. And, like, Ganner's not winning the sprint. He's not able to, say, get the Malia Rosa yeah. for any reason. I see no reason why he shouldn't, um, unless he's piloting Thomas, which he wasn't in the last 2Ks, why he wouldn't go back to pull for Gagenhart. Now, I know it's really hectic and the DSs might not have even seen or whatever, but yeah, if Gagenhart, I presume he would have got on the radio and said, I'm behind, guys, because he's made, he, he didn't crash so badly that he's not finished the race. So that was curious to me that they didn't use Ganner as well to drop back for Gagenhart. How much time he's lost, I'm not sure. Uh, whether it's tw Anyway, big crash. I think that's evidence number one out of one data point that you want to be at the front. <laughs> and then who have we got here? We have basically Alperson leading out the sprint for Caden Groves. They have their train. They were the best lead out as we thought that they, they have the best lead out here with Sinkledam. Reza Big set it up before, but Sinkledam I think was the last man for Alperson. We've mm -hmm. got uh, Milan is piloted onto Groves' wheel by Pascalon. I want to Pascalon, I think, unreal signing for them. Like, okay, he's not going to win the biggest races. He's not going to... I think he did okay in the classics, but to pilot Milan onto the wheel you want to be on like that and put him there without spending too much energy, really impressive. Deeper's Gaviria on Milan's wheel, and then it's Arna Marit found to Marche. Dainese was leading out Meyerhofer after, which is curious because Dainese won a sprint last year in, in the Giro d'Italia. Yeah, Dainese and DSM, and they're dividing up at the end of the year. I've heard reckon? some rumors. 
They sent him to Tour of the Alps to come last every stage, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> he, he's not their friend anymore, I'm afraid. Their friendship on Facebook is over. But okay. Mike Holford, we saw him in, in um, 11's, he 11's Great Ocean Road Race. disrespect our Australian one-day race. I'm sorry for forgetting that one race in Australia <laughs> that everybody forgets after two days. But Mike Holford, you're right. He was strong there. But I feel like he's kind of that sprinter where I thought he was going to be that sprinter that is more on the versatile end due to K11's Great Ocean Road Race. So I wasn't necessarily seeing him compete against the Caden Groves of the world and so forth. Ackerman was there, like you mentioned. Gaviria was there. And also those riders where you don't necessarily think they can compete for the victory, but they're there to sprint, which means that they might hinder other riders that are also trying to sprint, which is a Jake Stewart, for example. I didn't necessarily see him sprint against the best here, but I don't know. I wasn't actually sure who was going to win from this because Ackerman <laughs> hasn't looked that amazing this year. No. Davi Decker, we've not seen him sprint really. Jonathan Milan was strong in that one flat sprint against Grunewagen in Saudi, Saudi Tour. Yeah. And then Meyerhofen, when it comes to his flat sprint, I wasn't sure. Arne Marita, I wasn't sure either. Gaviria looked good, but I'm not as sold on Gaviria as you are, maybe. Well, the problem is there's no corner for him to jump to here. It's pretty yeah. much a straight line finish. <laughs> it's a corner. And it's kept at high speed. So if you jump early and he's on Milan's wheel, you're going to have to just eat wind from high speed for 20 seconds and you're going to lose most of the time against World Tour sprinters. But what happened with Gavidia's acceleration? Because now he seems to be that sprinter that needs to go early and hold off, while in the past he had such an acceleration that Giro where he won four stages... There were brutal accelerations in that sprint yeah. where he passed 20 riders or so in the last 500 meters and won the bloody stage in the purple Chiclamino jersey. That stage was amazing. Quick step effect, I guess. I mean, everyone gets worse when they leave quick step when they're a sprinter. But anyway, Alberson lead it out, drop off Caden Groves, maybe a little bit early, but still he's not had to spend as much energy as anybody else. Milan, he's got them big elbows, gets them out, fights off Arnhem Arit for Groves' wheel. But Gaviria jumps early, like we expected. He jumps early off Milan's wheel, and Groves is led out by single dam on the barriers. Milan follows him up the up the barrier, so he's getting draft once because Milan likes to jump early. And Gaviria then, he's side by side with Groves. Gaviria splits off to the left, and that opens the door in the middle of Groves and Gaviria for Jonathan Milan to kick. And when he kicks, he's, he's just, his peak power is, is bigger than these guys now. Bahrain flick him a lot like they made him lead out Rajevic in Saudi stage one yeah. like the this kid is incredibly talented he's super young he's got like big big peak whilst when you look at his sprinting position it's like he's like a big sail how quick's their skin suit how quick's their bike for sprinting I don't know but he just absolutely torches everybody in this sprint now he did get for once a really nice a nice suction up off Grove's wheel and then he's able to carry that speed and sprint for 10 seconds or so in the wind or less, just a perfect amount of time. But he beats everyone by, you know, a decent bike length. And this was why I didn't pick Groves for a lot of sprints because he won those Catalonia stages, but his top end, like it's not a Gronovegan, it's not a Jonathan Milan, it's not a even Pedersen, I don't think. I think his top end is, is not quite there compared to those guys over 12, 15 seconds. I could be wrong and maybe he just hit the, a headwind really early today. But yeah, Milan wins. Deca Benji, second as well, Ooh. then Groves. Let's start about Milan for a second. Okay, Milan, yeah. I feel like he's a bit of a raw gem in the sense that when he first showed up on the scene, he reminded me of an absolute tank of a man like Marcel Kittel and so forth. But then he was very versatile to be a Marcel Kittel. I was kind of surprised of, of his versatility considering his, his brutal size when it comes to 
the way he's on a bike and so forth, the way he rides around, the non-aeroness of Jonathan Milan, despite him being a solid track rider for certain. Well, he's he might be a track rider next oh, year yeah. as well, because there's rumors that he signed for for track for one million or something. First of all, the two sprints that he won on the flat this year were sprints where he did it from a reduced group. Do you think that increases his ability to to win those sprints? Do you think he will be able to do the same thing in a larger sprint, a full-on bunch yeah. sprint? Yeah, I'm really high on Milan. Like, I think he's really, really good. I think if he goes to a team... Now, if I'm not saying Trek's the right team for that, but yeah, like... I, he's aggressive and listen you know we call out aggression but at the end of the, <laughs> at the end of the day if you know if it breaks a little bit at the, at the end of the day if you want to sign a young sprinter do you want him to aggressively fight for wheels or just let them go like yeah. you, you have to you know you want the guy to aggressively fight for wheels yeah. claim wheels hold position and then sprint now i agree he's quite i think his five minute power is really really high so can he get over punchy climbs can we able him I do. He came top fifteen in Kerner, I think, or twelfth in Kerner. But his positioning and sometimes I don't know. He, as you said, he's not the finished product by any means. So Trek have if if they have signed him for that amount, but, that is, well, he just won a Giro stage. So mm-hmm. you know you'd be pretty happy if you did. But for the classics, he's by no means a finished product. When it comes to the classics, though, they have Peterson. You like when when I think of that, the idea of Milan going to Kent Wevelkam as well and Kurne as well, and we take a look at combining that with Peterson, that might turn into issues. But we're diving too deep yeah. into the the potential Trexig Alfredo preview for next year. You're right, David Decker looked really strong, but he did sprint in the draft. the draft. Yeah, he did sprint in the draft, like you mentioned. So that has an effect that gives him a bit of an advantage over riders that went early, like, like Gavidia, for example, like a Gross, for example. They went early and they basically gave a lead out to Milan and Ackermann, yeah. who then came out. Ackermann came out of the lead out and waved back directly. He, when, so. when Ackermann hits the wheel, hits the wind, it's done. Like he, he just just doesn't seem to have that top end. But yeah, the top ten Milan wins ahead of Decker, Groves, Anna Marit. That's a nice result for him. Yeah. Uh, in fourth, Meyerhofer fifth, Ackermann sixth, Gaviria, Bonifacio, Stewart, Matthews, uh, Jaco. You know they. They don't have a last man. There's no Luca Mezgets here. I think Scottson had a mechanical with seven Ks to go, 10 Ks to go. He's part of the lead out train for Matthews. But Matthews is a pure bunch sprinter. He's not just like Court. He's not, he's not that guy. Like he's not, he's very, very fit. He's fitter than all these guys and can Mm -hmm. climb better than all these guys, except maybe Grove. So anyway, very odd top 10. I will note if you're on PCS or first cycling, have a look at these UCI points. Arna Marit, 80 UCI points for fourth. Meyerhofer, 60 UCI points for fourth. Last year, I'm pretty, let me just check, do some quick maths. I'm pretty sure in a sprint stage, let's go to the one Cavendish one. Fifth got four UCI points. <laughs> fourth got 12 UCI points. Mate. This year, it's what? 80 and 60, and Lotto turned down their invite. Um, and before the rules changed, yeah, like they got screwed. But, but also, why don't DSM have Wellsford here, man? Ooh. Firmly agree with that. Wellsford would have cleaned up sprints yeah. here. He would have cleaned up sprints here. Bonifazio also ate for Intermarché, so I don't know. Oh, if they're, double stacking. Maybe they're actually <laughs> double stacking these sprints to make sure they have points. Or I think he did the lead out. He did the lead out, but still being eighth means he continued sprinting a bit. I, I would expect because Matthews probably was going for himself. And just finishing behind Gavir, I think he still sprinted after the lead out and so forth. Yeah. But 
he's allowed to do so because it gained them more points and I think they're going to be happy with that stuff. Now, if I look at this top 10, I'm like, okay, we know about the sprinters, but it's annoying that we don't know if Hart lost time or not, eh? Because I'm like... I've been refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. I've been checking Twitter. <laughs> I've been, you know, looking to see what's happened now. What it, I was looking really closely um, behind to see. So what happened is, so people, uh, also so the writers know, and this is also a word to Primoz, who was still fighting really aggressively for position in the first third of the peloton with like a K and a half to go. The, on the sprint stages, which is, if you look in the regulations, stage is expected to finish in a bunch sprint. To be put on a gap, there needs to be, Luke will look at me and shake his head if I'm wrong, there needs to be three seconds elapsed from the back wheel of the last rider in the group to the first rider in the next group. Three seconds at 65 kilometers an hour. Someone will put in the comments the quick maths. That is a huge gap. If you look at one, two, three, yeah, I just counted three seconds at 65 kph, you can virtually be, you can be 25 meters off the wheel and you still won't be put on a gap. Yeah. And so that's why Remco was doing the right thing, just like dangling at the back of the group, not really getting in amongst the sprint after the 3k rule. Anyway. About that. Oh, yeah. You can continue. Well, the point, the reason I brought up the rule is because then when this group finished, there was a second group dangling. And so there was this group dangling between G1 and let's call it the Gegenhardt, yeah. J-Vine or other GC group that were caught behind the crash. And I, I really want to know, and that's why I keep refreshing, I reckon they don't know. And honestly, 99% chance there's a controversy cooking up that we're going to have to refer to tomorrow based on the timing yesterday. But whether that group in the middle dangling reset because if it's it okay, if it's two seconds to them and then two seconds to them then the group three gets put on the same time but i didn't they're probably doing that calculation now and if they if they weren't then they get i don't know put on whatever time so i don't think gagan hart's group or almeida or whoever will have lost more than 20 seconds it's not going to be like a minute two minutes that they've lost but yeah. i don't know 20 seconds is annoying and it's going to increase the stress for the more sprint stages right yeah, it should in, definitely increase the stress. And riders like Egenhard and so forth, on paper, they would need as much time as necessary for the time trials if they do want to compete for the podium. But then again, Roglic disappointed in the first time trial. So the podium for Gegenhard seems seemingly possible at the moment. I would also say you spoke about those gaps and so forth, but I want to bring it back to the, the one detail that you mentioned, which was Remco dangling at the back and Roglic fighting with everybody during the last two kilometers to stay at the front in that sprint. Were you surprised to see that? Because I was like, I feel like Remco's in a safer place at that moment, dangling at the back. In the last two and a half Ks, just sit at the back free wheel. Like, you're not going to get put on time. Uh, the most you get put on is a second. Or... He was fighting Bahrain riders. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe that was Hessman. I don't know. <laughs> First cycling finally has the time gaps. It was as we expected. So Vlasov made it into the front group with okay. Thomas, Avenapol, Kamna, Caruso, Ganever, curiously, uh, Roglic, Cepeda, <laughs> Alexander Cepeda, Jefferson, is that, uh, Alexander Cepeda made the front group. McNulty, uh, I think, dropped back because he was doing a lead out for somebody else. I'm looking yes. for where Almeida is. See, Almeida made the front group. Whether that was because of McNulty pulling, I'm not sure. Now, the people that lost time, Haig, Vine, Uran, Uran, Pino, Carthy, Gegenhart, Rubio, and that's all the GC guys, Petrago, Pozzavivo, 
the, the GC guys I care to mention, they lost 19 seconds. They got put on 19 seconds, and then I don't see any DNFs, and then there's other people that aren't relevant for GC. So 19 seconds is the time loss. Now, the gain from that, I guess, will be Almeida moves further away from Gegenhardt in third position. Yes. Um, because... Heart drops for four positions. Really? Yeah, to eighth. Because of Caruso. Kung jumps past him, Roglic jumps past him, Thomas and Vlasov. So all the good work of Gegenhardt's TT yesterday is basically, let's say he put in extra effort training or they adjusted the setup and that was a 20-second delta. That's been a race today with that, uh, that crash. And yeah, Vlasov moves up and Thomas moves up. Now, I would still say Gegenhardt is their, um, looks like their best GC rider <laughs> in the but they need to, they need to figure out what they're doing. Because to be honest, Ineos today, if you've got Ganner and all his mighty power, yeah, you should probably use it if your plan is... Like, I assume they want to be... I assume their goal wasn't to be sitting in a deep right pocket and it was to yeah. be at the front. Well, then Ganner should, if he can, and I assume he could, should pull full gas with Gagan Hart in the wheel. Unless they are in the Italian media mindset and they think that Filippo Ganner can actually win the Giro d'Italia. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Nah, nah, nah. Maybe. You know, if, if all the mountain stages get snowed out, anything's possible, right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's true. That's not that. Well, who knows? If they take Monte Lusario and just take the flat part, he might be pretty Remco happy with still that. wins. Remco beat him in the flat part of the TT yesterday. Remco had some words, though, after this stage. He says, we know who caused the crash. It wasn't a nice move. Um, and didn't name I heard names. about Groves, but I'm not sure, so I'm not going what, to point at what? Groves. I don't understand, because they're all front on. Um, I, I don't understand what they could have done. The Alpsen guy was riding a straight line, like, unless they just, there was some elbow fighting. And also, this is the three-kilometer no, roll up. I, I see a UAE rider moving to the other side of the road and pushes an... A quick step rider. So UAE rider is in, it's behind the Alpsen. I've got the video here. Okay. UAE rider is behind the Alpsen train and moves to the right, touches quick step, and quick step rider goes to the right. And Ren this one, Renko, Renko ah! shouts, yeah, what the fuck or something. And then the crash happens. So I the don't crash know. is behind Renko, right? Yeah. UAE rider is the one that I see as the one that moved to the right here. Whether he was influenced by someone, that is not known. So, and Renko panic but, breaks. The thing with, with these crashes as well is we can say, oh, this rider will move to the right and so forth. It's unless, a sprint stage. Unless it's actually a move where they're like trying to move yeah, someone like to the side or the stuff like that. There's stuff like this going to happen in every single stage. But if Remco says it's a, it's a dirty move, then maybe it's a dirty move. We didn't see it. But in reality, it's hard to point at riders for causing crashes unless we've got solid proof that they caused the crash because... Every rider in the peloton has to cause a crash at some point in their career. Unless, like, I didn't see a rider full-on swing, at least from the front on, in the, to, to start the domino effect. So, like, guys are going to fight for position hard in the last 5Ks of the first road stage of a Grand Tour. Like, that's what's going to happen. And it's hectic and it's scary. And, yeah, like, probably wasn't a nice move, but also, like, Remco leaves a big gap and then, boom, people breaking behind and gone. So... I guess good job from Quickstep and Yumbo today to keep out of trouble. Thomas just makes it. I don't know how, like, of all people to probably, like, I can't believe Grant Thomas made it. Um, but anyway, that's today's stage. It was, it was just a classic sprint stage. Chaos, tension, stress, and Jonathan Milan gets the job done. I mean, this is the thing, Benji. He probably wouldn't have because Remco's performance yesterday, but 
he's a good TT rider in a different world where Remco does the tour because he should have anyway, and it's a prologue. Jonathan Milan on a different team goes into pink today because his TT would be so much better. That Bahrain TT setup is <laughs> so bad. The suit is slow. The whatever extensions and the way they have set up for the guys, their guys eat a lot of wind in the chest. I don't know how quick the helmet is. Like, there is the haves and have nots, and yeah. the Bahrain are the have-nots. Ineos and UAE, like, Ineos were fast. Just say UAE have taken a step up this year, potentially where they're equal, if not better, than Yumbo's yeah. in the TT setup. But Bahrain, like, there's a, there's a skill that that guy has that is kind of wasted there. And that's where, like, same with the Foss signing. Like, if Foss goes to Israel, it's like, well, I mean, what's the point? He's a TT first guy. So it'd be interesting to see, like, Milan is a guy with prologues and grand tours that we could see taking leaders jersey in future years. Yeah, and then we saw that Alex Dowsett video on YouTube at some point where he was like going over the the setups in World Tour and so forth. He was discussing which setups would be seen by riders as the best setups, Specialized being named as a great one, Trek being named as one of a one of the great ones as well. And if Milan indeed joins Trek, then we might actually find out how solid he is as a rider next year with top-notch equipment compared to the setup he currently has. So I'm very curious to see that. I'm looking forward to see that. And, um, well, this stage summarized, Milan wins strongly. Would he have won if it was a large bunch sprint? Nobody knows, but he looked strong enough to beat the majority of the sprinters on the start list in the first place, if he's in a good position. And most importantly, Gegenhard loses time in GC, Vine loses time in GC, uh, and that's about it, eh? Yeah, and Haig and Carthy and Uran and, all, yeah, but and Pino. Pino hopefully goes to stages. Anyway, tomorrow's stage from Vasto to Melfi. We're still on the coast, but no crosswinds allowed. It's the law. It's flat <laughs> pretty much. Uh, an intermediate sprint with 100Ks in Foggia. I would dare say the breakaway will take that. I always forget Italy, the Giro has like one's, one's just sprint points and one's bonus seconds, and I can never figure it out. I have to relearn it every year. So it's 170Ks of flat. It's a long stage, and then there's... Decently hard climbing, 6K, 6.5%, which, you know, after 170Ks in the legs, isn't that easy. And then there's a short descent of two, three kilometers, and then they do the Valico La Croce, which is 3K, 6%, before a rolling sort of false flat downhill before, with some pickups, a finish in Melfi. Now, this does look perfect for Pedersen if they, even Magnus Court, but looks, looks really good. Mm, see, now 6K, 6%, followed by another... Six-minute climb, seven-minute climb, I'm less convinced because this is yeah. getting on towards 25 minutes of climbing depending on how hard Trek can pace this with Mollema. So if I'm Trek tomorrow, if Pedersen's in good climbing shape, I put Mollema to the front at the base of the first climb and I, I blow every sprinter off, off the back as, as much as possible. And now their problem then is who do Trek have to control? Can Kirsch get over to then control what is from the top of that climb still... Can I do maths? 30 kilometers to the finish. So can they keep Milan Gaviria Groves behind? Can they stop people attacking in this false flat run-in for 30 kilometers if Pedersen is indeed the best climbing sprinter here? So, or does just the break, I don't think the break win, if you're Trek right after today's stage, you think, fuck that, we're going again tomorrow, right? Because you just yeah. missed out on the chance after chasing all day. So there's no, I mean, yeah, I think Trek control, probably Alperson help. I think 
I think Trek are going to do a lot of work and it's not going to work for them. Either someone comes back or like in the uh, – Ber- this reminds me of Bergado's Paranese stage win yeah. when they paced really hard and then it was actually quite a thin group, like 30, 40 guys, and then they didn't have enough to control and there's pickups where people can attack. So yes. now I have to look at a, a, a sort of finesseur that could actually attack and win this stage and who, would, who well, won't be chased down. I don't think they'll be the only team though because – Jayco with Matthews, three years ago we would have said this is a Matthews state and every single Grand Tour that the stage was present. So Matthews on paper should be getting over this climb as well, especially if he has his climbing legs of the last few years. That should on paper work. That's one of the riders I'd be like, this is a finish for you. But if I look at the other riders on the start list, I'm not looking at those riders that can get over this hill and still have a bit of a sprint. And whether Trek will pace hard enough to get rid of all these riders, like the Milans of the world? I don't know. But will there be other riders that try to attack? Because I remember Vinem Bardet attacking on a finish like this yeah. in the Vuelta at some point. Do we expect someone in GC being like, the YOLO, Vine might, Vine might, I mean, if he did it in the Vuelta, why wouldn't he try again? Because he just lost time today. There's also bonus seconds or with 10Ks to go at the end of a little pickup. So I reckon you, Vine's not a bad shout. Or... Remco has seen some weakness in Roglic in the time trial. Do you think he'll dare to try something nah, on this one? Not, Roglic not, wouldn't drop here. Eh? Not If Quickstep just set this up and pace, you, all you're going to do, I think, would be to gift bonus seconds. Yeah. Actually, no, Remco said he beat Roglic in the final sprint, so but he's much quicker than Roglic in a sprint. If Trek's hard pacing the climb, and you don't set up for Remco, and you try towards the end of the climb, I still think they'll have trouble catching Remco back. Yeah, but you're just you're not going to draw Roglic. He's not going to risk on 3K, 6%. it. Three K six percent. It might not be worth it yet at this point. I think Andreas Lechnerson wins this stage from a uh, descent, sort of a descent attack. I think he's someone who's irrelevant enough for GC. <laughs> no, for GC that like Vi- yeah, yeah, Vine, yeah. they ain't letting go. Like Tarame. Like Vine, no, but Tarame don't have the horsepower. Whereas yeah, Lechnerson's yeah. got the horsepower. He's also good enough to easily make it over the climb, but not good enough that they respect him on GC. And I think he could win this stage from a late attack. I'd love to see it and he, him for, to go for it. Uh, I wouldn't... I mean, Meyerhofer climbed well in, in uh, Cadell Evans Road Race, so maybe he's, he's stuck to him. I'd also like to see he was very strong in a Catalonia similar stage. Carlos Verona have free reign to go for a similar attack on the downhill or in the run-in as well. And I dare say, I think Ghana's going to attack as well. I think that's his plan, to go for this stage and attack a weakened trek. So yeah, but I'm picking Lechnerson. I really like your Filippo Ganna pick. Yeah, as in like you can take it. No, I'll go for Peterson because I'm really boring. (laughs) But I really believe in Ganna's attack as well for this stage. It would be a good spot to attack and try to take pink as a as a consequence of what happened today. Because at this point, you might as well double down. (laughs) I mean, yeah, if you if you sold Gegenhardt today, then. What's he got to take? Twenty two seconds plus he'll take ten bonus if he wins. So he's got to beat the GC group by and Remco will be happy. Uh, is he? Uh, Remco looks stressed, man. He is stressing. Yeah, but uh, if Every, I'm Remco, stressing, but... if I'm Remco, I'm happy that the pink jersey goes to a different team, especially Ineos. Then that that needs to control while having two GC leaders that are not in the pink jersey. Vivarca, let Peter let Peter Seri have his day. Oh, it's not all about you. Out. It's not all about you, Remco. Let Peter Seri win. Come <laughs> on. Yeah, no, nah, not Catanel. <laughs> Seri and Vivarca, <laughs> um, they do they do more work. Anyway. That was the Giro stage and tomorrow's stage, I think, could be an interesting final, but I wouldn't, uh, 
I wouldn't watch the first three hours if I'm honest at that stage. Anyway, time for our Vuelta Femenina wrap up. Now I will have highlight videos of this. I've got some for the uh, the first five stages, and then I'm wrapping up the mountain stages as well on the Lantern Rouge YouTube channel. But we're going to run through this race as well. Uh, particularly, we're mainly going to focus on the last two stages, yeah. to be honest, because the first five were, yeah, there wasn't too much decisive action. Yumbo won the first, the TTT, and yeah, they they were well drilled. I dare say Diget. The only thing I would say from this stage was that Canyon got Diget to pace a false flat uphill, and she just blew mm -hmm. the doors off everybody. And they should have had her do longer pulls on different sections, but and they might have won. But Diget came back. It was her first race I've seen her in since like Omlop. I think she did Omlop like a year ago. I don't know. Yeah, last year she did one race. Last year she did Omlop and then went back to America. Yeah, I thought it was this year for some reason. No, in my head. it was last year. <laughs> she's like, she's been on the team since 2021, and this is her. This was her. Yeah, the TTD was their, her second race day for them. Anyway, she was back. She was looking strong. Um, there's not much more to say. There were small gaps uh, in the team time trial. <laughs> Stage two, though, was again Diget. Now, this is was interesting because she's not a pure bunch sprinter. We've got Charlotte Cool here. We've got Cole. Sorry, we've got. Mariana Voss, but there's no Vibas, but Cool is a burner. And I was like, oh, is Diet going to go for a flyer, a finesse attack, a port style? Is she going to trust her sprint? I couldn't really tell, but Cole just dusted Voss. Oh, Cole beat Voss pretty convincingly, Benji, but Voss looked much quicker than she has for the rest of spring, I thought, at yes. this stage. Yeah, she looked like similar to the level that we saw her at at the Tour de France Femme last yeah. year. Maybe not at that level yet, but she looked similar to that level. And Charlotte Cole, I expected her to clean at least one of these sprints. I kind of expected her to clean most of the sprints in this race, but that didn't really keep up. I do want to say when it comes to Digard, I agree. She, she kind of was like in the middle of, should I attack or should I go for my sprint? And that led to it not really working out in these stages. But I will say, I'm so happy that she's back at this level. It, it's another rider that is up there that is able to compete with with the better riders and adds another uh, another woman that can win these races in some shape or form. And I'm very curious to see what she's got in the time trial this year. She's favorite for world champs, time trial. She'll win by a minute. By a minute? By a minute. She'll Write win. it down, people. In your little notebook. That's what yeah, you said in back little, in the in day. Your little, in your little black book, <laughs> write down, Diget wins world's <laughs> TT by over a minute. If it's... Because Van Dijk won't, eh, will she be there by then? Probably and not. Van Dijk probably won't be there. And yeah, even if she was there, I think Dijkert is is crazy level of TT. Now, and I, what she, she's like, if you want to do a finesse attack, yeah, go with 1500, yeah. where the cost of closing you is something that a Charlotte Cole will just not do it. Yeah. And Mariana Voss will not do it. And the problem is if you go at 500, then you have someone like Voss who Henderson brings her back to 400, yeah. 300, and then Voss jumps with Cole in the wheel. It's like you've got to make go further enough out that it's a one-minute, two-minute effort. Like Simmons in San Juan is a good example yeah. where the other sprinters are like, I cannot jump this early because my sprint is finished. Yeah. And then it's basically you against their tired lead-out riders. So she just jumped a little bit late, I feel. Next stage, she just went purely for the sprint. But this time it was Voss absolutely taught Charlotte a cool. Like they both hit yeah. the wind at the same time on different side of the roads. Voss just torched her, um, which frankly, I was really surprised. Like I did not expect that. And Cole third, uh, second, Digert third. So a similar top top three. Yeah, but one of these stages was Digert sprinting. One of these this, stages this was... Stage, stage three, Digert just went full on. Nuvi was doing a lead out and Digert dropped the wheel. 
off her canyon and was kind of deep and then sprinted really late and yeah look fast at the finish but i was like again against voss and cole you're saying yeah this is different competition i think she should take on the stages in the way where if it's versatile enough to the point that it's a reduced bunch that's when you know the other teams don't have the domestiques to catch these late attacks and then attack a bit earlier than the attack she did in that one stage because then you're able to really see the peloton look at each other to find domestiques to try and close that down while doing it too late will cause sprinters to maybe try and follow that wheel and then another sprinter will benefit from that and win the stage while if she goes for the all-out sprint she can also do that on stage where it's a full bunch sprint instead of just a reduced group where you know that your attack won't work so i think that's the the focus point there but if we go even further in this race no no this stage as well is where Rialini and Spratt lost yes two minutes 41 in the crosswinds so it kicked off and basically the third group just got back i mean Spratt said she punctured at 90ks i really want to know if Rialini made the front group and was made to wait, I assume she just was dropped in the crosswinds. But without Van Dijk being there, Trek were looking. Trek, Trek was short of a ruler this race, yeah. a quality ruler, and Van Dijk is irreplaceable with her level and talent. But yeah, two minutes forty-one for Rialini. That's your GC over. Um, so yeah. yeah, and that coloured then yeah the next stage. Wait, yeah. Last time you said that's your GC over was in that Biden short you made. Oh, yeah, Joe Biden. I mean, where would Joe Biden come in the Masters <laughs> Grand Fondo? Over, is he over Second. 80? Second? Yeah. Yeah. He might clip out on the finish line, though. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it depends. If you guys clip in pedals, you'll probably go a little bit faster. Um, but anyway, Joe Biden, go change your pedals. Hopefully someone has on his bike. Um, <laughs> stage four, from Cuenca to Guadalajara. 133 kilometers it is an up and down stage and the mariana voss we know and love benji was back which it was, it was a reduced group cole i think got in the car she saw a hill and got yeah. the car <laughs> which i which i respect by the way which wellsford should be at the giro doing for dsm yeah and and they were unapologetic they were just dsm were like yeah she's refocusing on other targets now because this hill's coming up like why don't the men's teams just do that openly I agree. There's so many teams in cycling where we are like, oh, Wellsford should stop at the Crans Montana stage and be off on a plane to back to where he belongs, in where he lives, whatever, to the sprinter areas. But yeah, we don't see it as often. Anyway, we continue. And Realini and Spread was interesting because this goes further into the race because we're starting to get to the real, first a, a medium mountain stage, I would say, a five kilometer finish on a stage five. Yep. Yes, 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 yes. We see action at the front of the peloton for the GC group, and in the end, the stage is being won by Demi Voling, head of Annemiek van Vleuten, so we see a gap there of like three, four seconds, if I recall correctly, with Bauernfeind, Ricarda Bauernfeind, we spoke about her for quite a while now, last year she was riding for Canyon Shram Generation, while this year she's for the actual LE team of Canyon Shram, but like you said, Spratt and Riolini lost time in the echelon stage, and here Riolini is working for Spratt. It makes no sense. Now, I'm not saying that Spratt needs to go to the front on this stage and just drive the pace for Riolini, but I really don't see why Riolini should be driving the pace for Spratt either. And I think what also coloured this finish, this uphill finish, was Nee Fisher-Black was taking a bit on from Vollering in the valley beforehand. Yeah. She was looking over to the left, and then Mavi Garcia came across, and either... I mean, you're responsible for your own front wheel. She She crashed, and then... She also, Santesteban was caught up from it, the Jayco yeah. rider, and then the commissaire immediately put a barrage. Yeah. 
And I re you really rarely see an or an insta because like Fisher Black got up really quickly. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't like a big crash and like didn't Ekoff put his shoulder back in, waited at the side of the road, <laughs> and then you know like yeah. Fisher Black got up quickly. And then you see if if she's what I don't know sub fifty kgs. Yeah. Right, and then there's Diget riding in front of G one, like on the flat in these open Spanish like planes. She ain't making it across, and she, I assume, would have been the one to pace for Volering. So, a, if Fisher Black hadn't crashed, yep. would the pace have been hard enough that Volering could have launched after conserving a bit more energy? B, for Riolini, would she have had a harder pace set for on the steeper sections by Fisher Black, and she wouldn't have had to go to the front and set the pace herself? Two questions that are very interesting for the rest of this race. So, the Volering wins. She looks, frankly, I. Uh, I think the way Volering, I know she she wants a high tempo, yeah. But I I think she did. She, this was the first time where she's doing it wrong against Van Vleuten. I think Volering is superior uphill, yeah, compared to Van Vleuten, and isn't riding a steady hard pace with Van Vleuten in the wheel, ex like kind of the worst of like that's that's the best of a worst case situation for Van Vleuten. She's like, okay, yeah, this is hard and harder than I want, but. It's better than stop, volering, bang. Like attacks, gets her off the wheel, and Van Vleuten on the steeper sections cannot respond. And then you have actually a gap of three, four seconds. And then Van Vleuten has to actually either accelerate above the threshold she wants, or she, at least she's off the wheel. And I feel like the gap could have been bigger if volering road more stop start. Now we've seen Annemiek van Vleuten evolve a bit upwards in the last few months she started off meh yeah she got a bit better for hill classics but she's really at a decent level now and we we look at the way that volering attacks her and i agree in the hill classics the moments that anomic von Vleuten really capitulated were the moments where accelerations happened at the front where there was an instant gap and it seems like volering is riding every single climb where she's isolated like she rode mur de Huy, where she just Tempo's on the tempo that she thinks she can ride the entire climb and does that endlessly. But I think you need the accelerations indeed to make the initial gap to Von Vleuten, which will then lead to Von Vleuten both physically and mentally suffering from that gap. And that would be more effective, I think. But we've got this stage. We've got this fifth stage, small gap. We go towards stage six. We will call it P-Gate. That's, P -gate. A, that's a, a good spoiler of what might happen. And... This is a stage where a lot of controversy so much happened. Controversy. And it started before the broadcast, right? Because we've got these two climbs, which are, they've got a, a six, seven kilometer valley in between, and they're in the second half of the race. But there were split ups before the first climb. How did it happen? Well, the gap is small. Volring's in the leader's jersey, but only five seconds out of ABV. And you got this 106k stage. And apparently, we, we see on the live ticker, we see Volering's a minute behind a group of Van Vleuten. Like, how did that happen? And a minute too. Like, yeah. how she lost a minute in a crosswind section with SD Works power. And apparently, uh, so there's two sides. First is, Movis, first is Volering's side. SD Works as a whole team yeah. went for a pee break. Now, rule one is I would probably, with one and a half hours left of racing, not take a pee break unless Annemiek van Vleuten was taking a pee break, if I'm SD Works, number one. Number two, they take a pee break. And then if I'm reading the Volering quotes correctly, one of her teammates had a mechanical yeah. and she waited 
with the teammate that had a mechanical to fix the mechanical. Like, could you imagine stage 20 of the Tour de France to Le Markstein, two big climbs coming up, Pagatcha's in yellow, Vergard's take a Langen, Trenton has a front puncture, and Pagatcha says, ah, oh, don't worry. It's, uh, it's only an hour and a half left. There's not much happening. I'll just wait with Staker Langen to do a change. Absolutely not. Lee, I'm sorry, whoever had the mechanical, you're gone. And apparently Royce was in the front group, so Royce wasn't with them. So who's the ruler helping? Because Royce is their best ruler by far. Like, they didn't send the best team here, SD Works. Like, Vash was okay, but Cicchini, Schreiber, and Femke Marcus weren't that good in this race. Or, like, they, they're not the same as Christina Madras, for example, yeah, on the yeah. flat. They're not Royce from the flat. And so... And then apparently, according to SD Works, Movistar just started drilling it. And according to Movistar, their Movistar had a plan to, through a crosswind section, they went into a town, came out of the town, crosswinds. Jürgen Rolance, his uh, sportive director, said, yep, there's crosswinds, and they know this area well, Movistar. And they said, plan is hitting the crosswinds, and they hit it. And Jumbo helped them too, and they got a good team. You know, Marcus is a big engine, and Voss too. And I don't care i believe both of them to be honest yeah i believe both of them i believe what volering said that they waited for the mechanical and i think that's an absolutely terrible idea and i think movistar well like you can't have the race leader however long just dangle at the back messing about for however long five yeah. ten minutes you're in sorry but this is this is professional racing I don't believe in... This is not like Volering had a crash and then they attacked. This is different. They had a self-elected pee break, then weighing from mechanical messing about, didn't drop Royce back. No. It's like the stage before. Lippert had the exact same thing just before the climb, where she took a nature break before that climb, and Movistar said the day afterwards, that was a mistake, we lost time because we had an, a badly planned nature break. Now, we get to that point that you're mentioning, Volering versus Movistar and so forth. The, the part that I'm annoyed about when it comes to Volring's stakes on this. She mentioned uh, um, if you want to win like this, something like that. Yeah, uh, then you uh, can do it that way. Then you can do it that way. And that pulls me back to the Tour de France from last year, the final uh, the final stage, I think, where, where Van Vleuten had 17 mechanicals. And that's when SD work started pushing through, where we also were like, well, if you have 17 punctures, well... Yeah, and this was also on like the mount, like on the mountains, yeah. and so you could say, okay, well, we're not on the climbs yet. This is still before yeah. them. Now I don't have a wind barometer or something. I don't know if there was really crosswind. <laughs> Bollering said it was headwind. Whatever, whatever happened, happened. Right now, yeah. in the moment, you can complain. You can't. You can complain about it afterwards. In the moment, when your SD works, you have to fix this. You have yeah. two climbs coming up. They're each, I'd say, twenty minute climb, maybe a bit longer for the for these riders. And then it's actually a long, plat a long flat section afterwards. And Movistar have got this gap at 130, 140. There is Roysa in the front group, the European time trial champion, in the front group with AVV before the first climb. Vollering is driving the valley because Neve Fisher Black can't drive the flat fast enough. Vollering is pacing full gas in the valley before the first climb with Roysa freewheeling in the front group. And it's like, now, and, and, and basically, Volering is pacing against Lippert and Patino and uh, Florchi Mackay and Emma Norsgaard. Like, what are SD Works doing? Because uh, 
they're, they're thinking, oh, well, we could use Royce afterwards. She'll be fucked after the climbs. You have to use her to close the gap as much as possible so Valorant can bridge on the climbs. Exactly. She should have been in the group the second that the valley started. The seven kilometer valley, in that valley, she can tone down the time. And in the meanwhile, we had moments on the first part of that that next climb where Volring was basically at the front trying to get other people to pace because she wasn't going to be able to pace the entire climb. She also bridged up to the second group of Royster then. But the problem there is, well, Royster won't be able to help on the climb because Volring's better on the climb. So the point at which to use Royster is in that valley before. Even though it's only seven kilometers, that's super valuable because like you mentioned, she's spending energy before the climb. She's going to be spending energy on the climb. Royster's energy will be going down on the climb. And then you get over that climb and the gap is still well, 1 minute 40 or so at the top of that, of that second climb. And we start the downhill and so forth and it starts to deteriorate a bit, even though I didn't feel like Royster was at the front of the group yet. <laughs> it was until 12.5k to go that I notably saw Royster starting to help out in that group. But not like, okay, so the mistakes they've made up to this point, it's GC is still salvageable because we have Kovadonga the next day. So yeah. Van Vleuten is up the road with Riolini. They drop everybody on the last climb. Riolini's sitting in the wheel. She somehow holds Van Vleuten's wheel on the descent. I don't know how she did it, but she manages to hold her wheel. Van Vleuten's doing a one-up TT to the finish, about uh, with the descent, 23 kilometers of flat. First of all, okay, you've made the decision. We want to have Royce pace the last 23, 25 minutes of this stage. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's defensible. It is defensible that you can then eat into the gap with AVV having been alone and, and working hard. Okay, I accept that. First of all, Royce couldn't descend in the group. Yeah. She doesn't take front position on the descent and she's losing wheels on the descent. Secondly, she is not just pulling like full gas. There is clearly either the goal is for her to be in the group at the finish. And it's like, if this was Jonathan Castroviejo or... I don't know, like pulling for Bernal chasing Damiano Caruso. It's like he's going to get on the front and just drive full gas to dr bring this gap down because Volren can still win GC if the gap is 30 seconds. Yes. If it's 40 seconds. Kovadong is so hard. And SD work, Volren was pulling just as much as yeah, Royce. And, and they were looking to F. They were like, why aren't you pulling FTJ? You're in red. You're in the red jersey. Like it's your. Van Vleuten's up the road. Royce should have got on the front. Full gas, death pulled on the flat to get the gap as close as possible and Volering pulls full gas on the flat. Don't worry about Marcus. FDJ, you're going to kill him on Kovadonga tomorrow. And I'm convinced they lost GC by how they tried to operate in that group going through and off with Canyon in the last 15Ks. Completely agree. And I would like to add that we're getting over that climb. We're in those last 12.5 kilometers. The gap is 130 when Royster starts pulling properly in that group. And they only lose... 24 to 26 seconds by yeah. 26 seconds by the time they reach the finish line and that's with four other riders helping out so it's not like Royster made the biggest improvement either in the last 12.5 kilometers so the point to use it was earlier it's so true and then afterwards Volring said oh they were, we it was good that we kept Vol that we kept Royster ahead that was the way to go when the when the interviewer asked uh, why didn't you pull her back that that's bullshit no offense well, well no okay i let's say we accept that okay then why didn't she pull just her on the front to the point where she like drops in the last three k's yeah how is she finishing in the group then isn't that the point yeah so and i i yeah so that was curious but anyway a huge raid from movistar they got the tactics right and i guess yeah won this stage with no sorry 
Here's the next controversy. Riolini up the road with Van Vleuten. Riolini's been sitting in the whole time. Yeah. Now, I don't know what peak watts she could have. She somehow wins the sprint ahead of Annemiek Van Vleuten, but it's a really close photo finish, and Van Vleuten finished stronger, and then we don't see the photo finish, and then they award on screen very quickly. Riolini has been told she's won, and then Van Vleuten's given the stage win trophy afterwards, and then, no, 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 it's Riolini. So that was not... Terrible. Not great for poor old Gaia, but she wins the stage, her first world tour race that she wins. Huge talent. Should have been second. Yeah. Should have been her second one. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know how she beat AVV here, though. So maybe it swings <laughs> and roundabouts. AVV takes a minute and more than a minute and four. She takes a minute and 10 seconds on Vollering to go 111 ahead of her on GC. And that's a big gap because 30 seconds, as I keep saying, could have been the difference. And we go to Kovadonga today. This was a, a really hard mount top, like one of the hardest mount top finishes you'll see on the Women's World Tour. 13.3K, 7%. There's also kilometers in there. There's two, no, three Ks that average 10.5, 11% in the middle of this, and then it levels off at the end. And it was a group at the bottom. Volering, she needs to gain a minute, let's say a minute and five with bonuses on Annemiek van Vleuten. And I was, it was kind of curious because. First of all, they weren't pacing, and then Fisher Black goes to the front, but Vollering attacks Fisher Black, Benji. And then Fisher yep. Black had Annemiek van Vleuten behind her, who was also like stressing about a flat tire or the car had come up. And Fisher Black was, um, she was kind of trying to follow Vollering. And I was like, back van Vleuten off the wheel, and really he's just right there with, uh, with Vollering, with Sprout obviously not doing a lead out for Riolini. But I don't, I don't really. I mean, that aside, I mean, this, this climb just showed how good Vollering is, yep. but also how much of a disaster the day before was because she really should have won GC at this race. Yep, she should have won GC at this race, and I think as D-Works will be kicking themselves, well, they won't. They're kicking Movistar over it, but they should be kicking themselves over this because they lost the race by not responding. Even if P-Break happens, what was it? Not P-Break. P-Gate. P-Gate happens. Even if P-Gate happens, the response was what lost them in the end. Because it's it's not by like a minute that they lose, it's by a, a very limited amount of seconds. And the the factor there as well is that Nee Fisher Black moment, for example, I do believe that that's valuable to, to yeah, like take yeah. in for them because if Volering if is going and Nee Fisher Black is ahead of Von Vleuten, she should open up the gap. And the only moment that happens is when Fisher Black herself starts dropping. That's when it happens. And then you see the value that has because Van Vleuten has to close down a gap of 10 meters or five meters. I'm exaggerating tiny, five meters towards the wheel of those two riders that are ahead. So that's how valuable those tiny things can be because then the initial gap has been created and Volring can just storm on a bit while Van Vleuten has to close a gap without having draft because draft still matters at this point. And I agree when it comes to all you've said, but I think we've spoken about Volring being great, but I think Gaia Realini is the best pure climber in the world. Mm, it's I I can't say yes or no because she yeah. had she had some sort of mechanical issue on this climb and that's what was really I couldn't really figure it out because she seemed to be she she basically has to get off the bike and I was like she dropped a chain but why how would she how would she drop a chain on a twelve percent gradient because she's already in the small ring so why would she be shifting did she shift too far on the limit screw on the rear? Like it seemed like a rear derailleur, derailleur issue, and that she tried to shift into an even smaller gear, and it then 
wouldn't shift because she was already in the smallest gear because they hit a 14% ramp, but then the limit screw, I don't know. And then she, she gets a push back and, you know, that's an adrenaline burst and then you've had to do an extra effort and then she has to do the rest of the steep section in too big a gear. She's grinding and she can't really seem to change the rear derailleur. She can change into the bigger ring. So I'm inclined to agree if there was a, if there was if this, if they did a Mortarolo mountain time trial, I think really any wins yeah. ahead of anybody in the world. So I, I, I guess I do agree, but could she have beaten Volering on this climb? I'm less convinced just because of the characteristics of this climb. But yeah. when Riolini is the one, Volering is just paced choo-choo style the whole time. Yeah. She's not re-attacked Van Vleuten, even though Van Vleuten is trying to ride to power. She's riding Froome style to power. But Volering's also riding a steady pace, and it only takes Riolini driving it hard on a steeper section. That releases Van Vleuten, and then Volering takes over. And then there's this really fast, foggy descent at the end of Covadonga. The gap has gone to 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 40 seconds, 45 seconds into this fog. She needs a minute five to win by Volering. And she gains more time on that descent ahead of Van Vleuten. And the last little run-up really cooks Van Vleuten and Riolini, actually. They both struggle, whereas Volering had more on the legs. Volering wins the stage 11 seconds ahead of Riolini, 56 seconds ahead of Van Vleuten, but it's not enough. Van Vleuten holds on to win nine seconds ahead of Vollering in GC. Riolini moves up nine spots into third. Marcus has finishes fourth ahead of Bauenfeind. Muzic sixth moves up. Labu actually drops three spots. She had cracked on the climb pretty badly, trying to follow Bauenfeind or Muzic, I think. Magnaldi eighth, Mavi Garcia ninth, and Nuvia Doma, despite being in an early move with Royce, which we forgot to mention, which didn't really help SD Works at all, frankly, because uh, Movistar controlled on the flat. Uh, she finishes. 10th and uh yeah an interesting actually not just an interesting, that was a cracking finish yeah um kind of thanks to the catastrophe of the day before yep that was a very good stage and not just the stage just the the controversy around it did make it a bit more interesting i won't lie but towards the tour de france from this is a great prelude because annemiek van vleuten is not out there destroying everybody volring's kind of out there being the the rider to beat now and you've got these riders like Rialini who are the pure climbers who might not be that perfect for this specific race, knowing that the Tourmalet is like that one climbing stage that will destroy all climbing stages. But there's so much other stuff happening around, like the time trial that's being thrown in right now. So I'm I'm definitely looking forward to the Tour de France film. It was a great edition of La Vuelta. But um, anything more to say about it? Or shall I give you an update about the Giro that we need to mention? Oh, no, just I'm really excited for the Tour de France film of Exwift. And also there's basically there is like, Okay, is this a Grand Tour? It's seven stages. Can you call it a Grand Tour? Let's park In that. women's cycling, yeah. But if you park that debate and say there's another two Spanish World Tour stage races pretty much back-to-back -back now on the women's calendar, they go yeah. and do uh, Basque Country and then Burgos. Let me check. They do – there's like three – yeah, Burgos. So five days after the Vuelta finishes, so next Friday, let's say, they start Itzulia. And that's three stages. And then after that, they do Vuelta Burgos, uh, which is four stages and yeah. also has a mountaintop finish. And I think all these hitters are doing it. Definitely Van Vleuten will do it because it's important for Movistar, one would think. And Volering's on the provisional. But yeah, I cannot wait for Tourmalet on, in the Tour de France Family Swift. I'm also liking... I don't know, this was much more interesting than... And it's, a you know... It is more interesting than Van Vleuten just dropping everybody at the base of Covadonga and winning GC by five minutes, let's be honest. Like, yep. the competitive tension today with Riolini in the mix, with Volering beating her, with Van Vleuten hanging on, I'm sure it's more unpleasant for Van Vleuten, but as a spectacle, today's stage was 
for one of the best women's mountain stages. It it was way better than Tour de France Farm mountain stage last year. Um, for sure. The only thing that made it spicy there was the mechanicals that Van Vleuten was having. Yeah. But I agree. That's what made it a, a good stage as well today, a very good stage. But like I preluded just a second ago, a bit of an update when it comes to the Giro d'Italia. I've also sent it over to you so we can take a look as well. Um, the crash. There's a, there's a perpetrator selected by the internet. As in, there's a helicopter shot where Grove uses his hand to move Bellarini to the side, to the right. Ackermann, therefore, behind Groves has to move up as well. So it's not Ackermann's fault. If Groves moves Ballerini with his hand, it depends on how hard he does it, but that's a sketchy move, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's against the rules to take your hands off the bars and to move somebody. And yeah, and seeing what Remco didn't really break or react too much, so I retract what I said about Remco. He actually very, very narrowly avoided Ballerini chopping him because of that move across. So Remco just had to Good take response. A, yeah, he just had to take evasive action and then... The DSM rider moving up on the right hand. I mean, Roglic is really close to this too on the right hand side. Um, but the concertina effect just cooks everyone behind. So, yeah, I mean, you can't take your hands off the bars and touch other riders. I mean, AVV did it on the climb yesterday to Marcus. Um, MVDP did it to Pogacar on the Poggio to do his attack, right? Or Dagana. I mean, it happens and is unpunished a lot of the time. But, um, yeah, yeah. Will some, I mean, that's pretty grainy. I can't see if he takes his hands off. I also can't see the few frames before. It's yeah. like, what if Ballerini is pinching in on his front wheel and he's protecting himself? That kind of changes the character of it too. It starts, this starts a little bit late, so you're missing some context. He's already kind of falling Ballerini. But yeah, shame to see people losing yeah. time. But the, this is, you know, this happens in every Grand Tour. But it shouldn't. I mean... It shouldn't, but unless you take away Grand Tour bunch sprints, it's gonna like people riding next to each other, seventy kph, is what's gonna happen. Um, but yeah, people shouldn't take their hands off the bars. But I can't really see it clear enough. Um, maybe I need to get better glasses or find the H. Fine. Yeah, they gotta get better cameras. Yeah, I mean, I am surprised that heli shot's so grainy. Like this is the final three k or four k of a bunch sprint. But anyway. Yep. Long pod today. We'll be back with stage three recap of the Jura tomorrow. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, give us some feedback for the live stream. I think it was better today. Maybe Luke will disagree um, from chopping and changing, but I hope you enjoyed it. We enjoyed Love Welter and we'll see you at the stage tomorrow. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 